Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. With me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris DeMuth. Uh, today we have a vaguely threatening episode. We'll start with the latest over at Arconic, and then we'll move on to big profits at Big Tobacco. Uh, so Chris, let's start with Arconic. Uh, so Arconic, uh, last week, their CEO, Klaus Kleinfeld, he announced his departure. We'll put that in quotes. Uh, and Arconic, you know, people might not have heard of them. This is uh, aluminum giant Alcoa spun out Arconic late last year. Arconic is their specialty aerospace business. And almost immediately on their spinoff, activist Elliott Management took a stake in Arconic. And I think they actually had a stake in Alcoa leading up to the spinoff. Uh, but they had a stake in Arconic, and they started pushing specifically for management changes. Um, the Arconic board, they resisted Elliott's push. They kept saying, hey, we have full confidence in our management. We have full confidence in their ability to kind of realize value and in their strategy. And the fight between the kind of Arconic management and the board on one side and Elliott on the other was getting increasingly bitter. Uh, and then la- late last week or early last week, the Arconic CEO unexpectedly resigned uh, and all that they kind of mentioned was there was an unauthorized, uh, vaguely threatening letter that he had sent to Elliot that the Arconic board deemed showed poor judgment. It led to his resignation kind of last Wednesday or Thursday. The letter broke, and I'll let you dive kind of into the intricacies of the letter. But I want to talk about two things. First, I want to talk about the letter because it is absolutely hilarious. Uh, but then second, I also want to talk about, you know, uh, the CEO resigned, but the board is still saying, hey, even though the CEO resigns, we're not giving in to Elliot. We're going to stick with our, our game plan. We think their changes are kind of uh, too much. Uh, and late today, kind of news was breaking. They might be opening. They might be open to some Elliot nominees. But I wanted to turn it over to you to get your thoughts on the, le- the letter and the board's uh, thoughts. Strange on so many levels. Uh, I posted a copy of the letter uh, as soon as I could get my hands on it on my blog. I've read it several times. It's hilarious. It is weird. It shows that once you're an adult, when you have something really cathartic to say, you almost never get to say it. When you say, this is what I want to tell the guy who is an activist who's trying to get me fired. Uh, uh, next time, if you're ever in this situation as the CEO of a publicly traded company and an activist is trying to get you fired, this is not the letter to send. Yeah, and I, look, it, it's so funny because the letter, it, and look, you can go look it up online. Every news story has broken it. There are tons of PDFs of it at this point. It threatens that, hey, uh, Elite Management, your, your CEO and founder, back in 2006, the World Cup was in Germany, and he partied too hard at the World Cup. That's literally what it alludes to, I, and I, that's I it. Is a, is a, there's innuendo that he was singing and dancing in a fountain. Yeah. He might have drank some beer before. I mean, it is incredibly mild. It, and for such a mild claim, it kind of, to make kind of references, I mean, if I made veiled references that my uh, podcast co-host 11 years ago may have danced in a fountain and sang a song, I, I, you kind of look more <laughs> like a goof making the accusation than whoever the accusation's about. So on Monday when the news broke, and this was before the letter itself had come out, there were only the references to vaguely threatening allegations of partying. I mean, I thought they were talking something like parties like Charlie Sheen style, like cocaine, hookers, paying people off, like maybe some bodies somewhere. I don't know. But for for the whole thing to be about somebody maybe having a little too much to drink and singing in a fountain at the World Cup, 
11 years ago? Like, it's just crazy you would even think to recommend this. And the whole thing is so funny. In the letter, he says, hey, I've got a – almost in a threatening way, he says, I've got a World Cup soccer ball that I'll send to you. And he says it in a threatening way, like, I'll send it to you as a token. Well, he can send it. I'm sure it's going to be a token that they'll they'll look on fondly for there. And he says he's going to send him an Indian uh, an Indian headdress. It is just an insane letter, uh, just crazy stuff. I don't know if there's some cross-cultural things that were lost here and that there's some kind of Germanic weird humor that I'm missing, but it just seems nuts. I think that Mr. Singer got under Mr. Kleinfeld's skin and the latter essentially just broke down and started kind of... Uh, babbling uh, in this letter and then sent it to him. He shouldn't have written it. If he needed to write it, he should have had some family member or lieutenant who prevented him from sending it. Yeah, and, and look, I can kind of see you for for three months plus, you've got somebody who owns a lot of your stock who is going to the press and saying, this guy is awful at his job. We need to fire him and get rid of him. So I can see how that gets under your skin. But, you know, this is an, another example if you're the CEO of a company, everything you say, everything you do will be washed, will be measured. You really – a lot of times you talk about companies, management teams getting kind of lawyered up. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is a reason. Like obviously the letter was an awful idea, mm-hmm. but you need to be lawyered up. And if you're going to communicate with a major investor who's fighting with you, you need to run it through lawyers, the board, whatever, to make sure that you're on message or else this can happen. This is a kind of guy who's always just going to be activist bait. I mean Arconic has always had so much of a whiff of BS about it from its kind of phony consultant contrived name, uh, Arconic, to its underperforming equity, its overcompensated, overcoddled CEO. He managed to split off, and, and I should say, actually, I've seen this written up as a uh, correction that it wasn't a spinoff, it, was a, a sp- it wasn't a spinoff, it was a split of the yep. two, uh, but he spun off, split off most of the business keeping a minority of the business, but most of its overhead, at least the fun parts of the overhead, like corporate jets and real estate. So he was kind of a big uh, company CEO at a much less big company. And, uh, you know, I just think that there was a lot ridiculous about this. The one thing I do plan on reusing is his answer to his investor about when he was available, saying that he's only available to chat at Davos, (laughs) which I think is just a world-class humble brag and brush off all in one. It puts the other guy in his place and it puts me in my imagined place. We should just make sure. So, uh, Elliot, the, the big investor said, hey, like, when do you have time to talk? And he said, I, I can't remember. He said, oh, oh, they were like, do you have time for lunch tomorrow yeah. around lunch tomorrow? And he was like, no. The only time on my schedule I have is three weeks from now at Davos. If you want to talk to me, that's where you can talk to me. He's like, this is the this is a activist investor who like kind of owns owns you. Like, yeah. is your is your <laughs> you, you uh, work for him? Crazy. He's your boss. Although I must say, if I was like a junior analyst at a hedge fund, I'd say done. Hey, send me to Davos. Oh, <laughs> uh, I never got to use this story, but so I take the train from New York to New uh-huh. Canaan, and literally right after the Elliot uh, kind of activist stuff started, I started seeing all these advertisements for Arconic on the train from New York to New Canaan and back. And I'm not sure if the timing was purely coincidental, but it is funny to think like. Why does Arconic, a specialty steelmaker, need to be advertising on mass transit? Like, it doesn't make any sense. I thought it it might have been an example of him, like, spending the budget to try to name brand into yeah. fund managers. Or, I don't know. But it, it was funny. The timing was coincidental. And it seemed like it could have been a little auspicious. Uh, absolutely. Can we turn to the board? Yeah, let, so, uh, that's exactly where I wanted to um, go. You know, I just think the board's position throughout has been a kind of CYA-a-thon that's left them in this 
funny headless state, and I really think it's been the worst of all worlds. This statement, and uh, let me just say this one sentence, this decision was not made in response to the proxy fight or Elliott Management's criticism of the company's strategy, leadership, or performance. So they're kind of doing this move and getting no credit for it at the same time. It it was just so strange. You know, if if you're bored... And the whole thing is we we fully support and trust management and support their strategies. And then the manager who you've been supporting sends this letter that you have to fire him for. Like, it seems like at that point it's time to just give in and say, hey, like, we were off. But I think you have an example of board corporate insider entrenchment, right? Like, if you give in, uh, let's say the board, I think it's nine people on the board and Elliot wanted to take four seats. If you give in... Half of you are gone, right? So it's kind of tough for you to support and say, oh, yeah, Elliot, you are right. Half of us should be gone. It's just tough to do that. So I think this is an example, as you said, of CYA, just a poor, poor all around. I thought it had a very old world aristocratic ring about it. He can be stupid. He can waste money. He can underperform. He can ignore his investors. But when he does but, something that looks bad, but if that's he's not just gen- like you can yeah. be as stupid as you want, and you're an aristocrat in good standing, you just have to be a gentleman. Yep, yep. And and, and as soon as he lost his gentlemanliness, then he was out. Uh, but but they were criticizing him for all the. Things. Uh, anyway, I, let, let's wrap that discussion up there. I think as we were kind of getting ready to podcast, there was some news that was breaking that said Arconic was open to two of the four directors from Elliot. So obviously a developing situation. I would I would not bet against Elliot in this fight at this point. Me neither. Uh, anyway, let's turn to big profits at big tobacco. So there was an article in the Wall Street Journal. I think the title was uh, the tobacco industry is rolling in money. And, you know, it. it it says against all odds, there the tobacco industry is kind of reporting record profits right now. Uh, this is despite years of increased re- regulations. Far fewer Americans are smoking today, but the U.S. tobacco industry is seeing a massive boom in profits driven by consolidations and cost cutting that are just going straight to the bottom line. Uh, so, Chris, I wanted to turn it over to you. What do you think about the tobacco industry, the article in general, everything here? I wish every service and product of any company we invested in was physically addictive. It just helps so much. You know, smoking is down, but it's just been a terrific industry recently and over the very long term for equity investors. Uh, In dollar terms and in percentage terms, Altria over, you know, half century increments is about as good as it gets for equity holders. If I I remember correctly, the best performing sector since like stocks have kind of become mainstream over the past hundred years is tobacco, if I remember that I believe that's correct. I was slightly understanding, but yes. And two main reasons I would point to. One, the companies have been scared the whole time and they spend money scared. Mm -hmm. Uh, A significant number of potential employees and potential investors and board and management look at each other every year and say this could be going away. And so that has left them frugal and careful. Another big reason is regulation. And I just on the regulation front wanted to tick off a couple things that I think have been crucial. Um, Regulations barring health claims block these companies from comparing and attacking each other for health risks and really locked in this industry in a way that I think a free market would have been very cannibalistic. Mm -hmm. Um, Regulations barring advertising amounted to a state-sanctioned antitrust violation. It's very hard to enter this industry, and it really protects incumbents. Uh, The state, I think, keeps cigarettes cool. Uh, They ban products aimed at kids, which would have destroyed teenage interest. You can't sell a 
bubblegum flavored grape or cherry or uh, strawberry cigarettes. There's nothing less cool than old people trying to be cool in front of young people. Uh, one grape flavored cigarette and a kid would be saved from a life of smoking. And instead, the state has made cigarettes the status symbol of rebellion and dissent. No marketer could have positioned Altria as well. Um, and I just think that that has uh, been what's locked in this just profit uh, spewing uh, industry. Yeah, so look, I think you're 100% right. There's all the things there. There are the industry consolidated. Mm-hmm. There were, uh, there's massive economies of scale mm-hmm. to running it. There were, there's big things with uh, brand stickiness in it. I, I think you're exactly right. I've seen quotes from uh, cigarette executives in the 60s and 70s who said at the time we didn't know it, but when the, uh, when the U.S. banned cigarette advertising on TV, it was the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. It took out a huge piece of our cost structure and that just almost fell directly to the bottom line. Uh, I'll just throw out some stats. You know, cigarette consumption has dropped by 37% from 2011 to 2016, but the prices jumped by 72%. That's driven a 32% revenue boost. Uh, Packs cost $6.42 per pack versus $3.73. But, you know, what was interesting to me was there was some stuff in there that was talking about – it was talking about taxes in the U.S. are lower than most other developed nations. So about 42% of the U.S. PAC price is taxes versus they mentioned 82% in Britain. And they were also talking about how uh, First Amendment rights protect tobacco interests from uh, re- restrictions on advertising much more than in other countries. Uh, they mentioned, you know, I think in Britain and Australia, it's required that you put like kind of the gum disease pictures on cigarettes and stuff. And I was kind of wondering, you know, is the fact that U.S. profits are so much higher here and ta- cigarette stocks have done so well here, is that almost a failure A failure of our democracy where there was an entrenched party that did a lot of lobbying and was able to kind of protect a corporate interest, maybe despite the social good? Does that make sense? Uh, the United States, or at least 46 of them, are limited partners of the major tobacco companies yeah, yeah. through the master settlement. Uh, this industry, uh, they w- it'll be around forever. Uh, the government would sooner require you to smoke than ban you from smoking. They go through this kabuki as if it is discouraged. Uh, but, you know, the war on tobacco is just part of the war on drugs. It sets up these massive incentives uh, and then gets the vapors when self seeking rational people do what they're told by the incentive structure to do. Um, You know, I've always enjoyed and been interested, intrigued by the uh, metaphor of the buggy whip uh, uh, industry. It wasn't really an industry, but it was used a lot. There was a Harvard Business School paper using this, and it was a marketing piece for people who always want to be invested in the next big thing. And the irony is the people who sold buggy whips actually did fine. I mean, there's carriage whips, but used in equestrian events today, and they're still Profiting. You don't need to be the next big thing. Uh, it's smaller and it's lower socioeconomic, but they can handle the uh, uh, high, high uh, and variable, but lower than in other countries' uh, excise uh, uh, taxes. Um, funny enough, tobacco is, um, I shouldn't say funny enough, not funny at all. Interesting statistically, it is a fairly beneficial expense in healthcare for Medicare and Social Security, uh, that if you look at our transfer payment system, it is not a very expensive way to die in a very old age that puts more weight on our huge unfunded uh, transfer payments. So from the government perspective, they have a lot of reasons to want to let it continue. Interesting. 
I'm I'm struggling with that. I'll, I'll have to think well, about that. Just think about social security payments. For, first yeah, off. it's a good point. It's a good point. But I don't know because. I, I guess the the argument is if you're smoking and you get lung cancer or something and Medicare is paying for that, like Medicare is paying more paying more for your treatment than you have paid in cigarette taxes overall. So I I don't know. I, I'd have to look into that. I'm not sure. I guess the the it, last it's thing, not very long term long term care yeah, compared to compared to uh, compared to nursing homes. The, the last thing I kind of want to end on is you know I think. We mentioned earlier, over the past 100 years, cigarette companies say, I believe they have been the best performing mm-hmm. sector of stocks. Uh, you know, I think that is the best example when a lot of people get excited about investing in marijuana stocks. You know, I think the poor reasons to get excited about investing in marijuana stocks is, oh, this is going to be a huge growth industry when it's regulated. I think that, you know, as you said, investing in the next great growth thing is not the great thing. The good thing about inv- the potential to invest in marijuana stocks is, look, the industry is going to consolidate massively as soon as it's as soon as it's uh as soon as it's approved it's going to be regulated it's going to allow all these uh kind of entrenched behemoths to realize a lot of profits and you're hoping it kind of goes along the path of what the cigarette industry is going to be i do have to think though the big beneficiaries of it are probably going to be the big beneficiaries of the tobacco industry they've already got the distribution they've already got everything set up there they have the marketing already yep, they've already got the marketing they're probably just going to either buy some brands or build out their own brands take advantage of their distribution i think they're probably the best marijuana plays marlboro greens yeah, exactly exactly uh let's see so i think we're out of time here I'll, I'll uh wrap it up there unless you want any last thoughts chris uh no Okay, perfect. So that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Our listener numbers are really what encourage us to keep taping these podcasts. Uh, Chris, I don't think we have any disclosures. Correct me if I'm wrong. All right, no disclosures from us, and we will probably talk to you guys on Thursday.